Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, uh, softball wins the Big Ten tournament. Uh, first time since 2008, and what a what a great win. Lacrosse taking care of business uh, in the second round of the NCAA tournament, uh, beating Michigan for the third time this season. Um, so we got a lot of big spring sports coming on. Not, not taking care of our blood pressure, but taking care of business. Yep, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Uh, but, you know, I, I think to help us digest all of this, we're going to bring in a very special guest with us here tonight. Uh, Noah Kaufman is going to be jumping jumping on with us. Uh, he's very tied in with both of the programs, and I'm uh, definitely looking forward to talking with him here in just a sec. Yeah, Noah's been on the call for both these, both these uh, sports, not just this season, but a bunch in, in recent history. He, he knows... He knows the opponents, uh, the players that are gonna that are gonna be coming up in postseason play in, in ways that that we just really don't. Plus, um, has such great history and and uh, measure of the Northwestern teams too. He's just he's he's a he's a, a perfect individual to to get some some perspective here as we go into the the I don't know the the most important part of the year, I guess. Yeah, the the meat of the season. Uh, so, without much further ado, let's uh, go ahead and get to Noah now. Well, we are thrilled to welcome back to the show Noah Kaufman. Uh, yeah, Noah has been broadcasting Northwestern Spring Sports uh, for quite some time now. Um, very excited to have have you back, Noah. Uh, I know you're just coming off calling the lacrosse game today uh, over at Lakeside Field. Um, How's your heart, buddy? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, when you're on those calls, it's, it's, it's you know, I'm neutral, right, on the call. But uh, inside, there were certainly some moments where I was uh, feeling the feeling the stress. There's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, so you know, cats win eight to seven. Uh, in real rock fight situation. You know, you know, just wild kind of back and forth thing. Um, yeah, I mean, like, what does it mean for this program to now get past the past this first round? I mean, beating Michigan three times in a season. You know, it's like you've seen them twice and now they have tape on, they've got tape on you and to be able to get past that is pretty huge. Well, it's not really possible, Sam, for any team to know another team as well as Michigan knew Northwestern coming into this game, right? Sure. Like you said, third time they played this year, second time in a week and a half. And Michigan's head coach, Hannah Nielsen, is arguably the greatest Northwestern lacrosse player ever. So, like, there, it's there's a lot of... Uh, understanding between those two programs. And I think we saw that today. Absolutely. Rock fight was such a good term for it. It felt like a big 10 West football game out there and not always in a bad way. You know, there were some really good defensive moments, but uh, wow, there was not a lot of offense, but the Wildcats did enough in the start of the fourth quarter to get it done and, you know, survive in advance. That's all you got to do. So if we were, if we're going to break it down, obviously, like I think we've talked about it weeks and weeks and, and Northwestern's played so many good teams down the stretch, including Michigan. And obviously Michigan, it's like, We've played Michigan three times, beat them twice, and their ranking went up the next time we played them each time. So it's like, obviously, like, they're not doing a lot of losing outside of Northwestern. But we're kind of curious. So obviously, I mean, even if you look at the earlier two Michigan games, but obviously the profile, if not of the entire season, of the certainly the back three quarters of the season where Northwestern just blistering goals, 
and and re, in recent history, particularly in the third and fourth quarters, where Northwestern just kind of hits that level, other teams can't go to and runs away from them. Why do you think that didn't happen today? Was it the familiarity, or do you see, you know, what specifically? What are you seeing there? Combination of factors. So the familiarity was absolutely one of them, John. There's no doubt about that. And another factor was Michigan really did a lot to slow things down. They didn't try to beat Northwestern at their own game. They took the possession clock down every single possession, right? They were they were holding it to 30 every time. Their goalkeeper clearly watched a lot of film on Northwestern, was taking away the, the spots they like to shoot at. And the Michigan defense did a really good job of being aggressive without getting cards. So if you look at the numbers, the one that really jumps out to me, Michigan had 15 more fouls than Northwestern on the game, Oof. but Northwestern had three more cards than them. And I don't think it was poorly officiated in that way by the officials. What was happening was Michigan was frustrating Northwestern offensively. They were giving them little cross checks, you know, little interferences, getting them off their game enough without actually giving them huge opportunities off of those fouls. And that's a really good way to defend a really skilled offensive team, but it's not easy to pull off successfully the way Michigan did. They've got a veteran defense. They know Northwestern really well. And I think it's a formula that will be very difficult for most teams to replicate. But when you start to look down the pike, a North Carolina could certainly fulfill some a similar type of formula. formula. But we'll get into that a little bit later, I think. So I'm I'm curious too. I mean, obviously, right? You're talking about you talked about the the strategy that they used and kind of looking at some of the stats. And it's funny, like I'm looking at some of the stats, and except for the score, even with that discrepancy in fouls, it looks like a game where Northwestern, I don't want to say dominated, but was no. the stronger team. Certainly. And you're looking and you're saying, all right, so like you know, one draw controls, like one shots, one turnovers, almost two to one. Um, right. Michigan turned it over a bunch. And I think where, like beyond the the slowing down of the pace, what do you think was that last piece? Was it just, was it Michigan's goalie just standing on her head out there? Or was, you know, were you seeing misses that you wouldn't normally see from Northwestern? Like, what do you think that piece of it was? Again, I, I have to give a little cop-out and say a combination. There were certainly misses you wouldn't normally see. Dylan Amonti missed a couple point blank. Madison Taylor missed a couple point blank. Those would be in, in a normal game. And it would be, you know, 12 to 7 instead of 8 to 7. But, and and Koykendall and Skane, well, not really Koykendall, but Skane and Radigan had a miss or two of their own as well. But Michigan also took shot quality way down for Northwestern. So the shot numbers are huge, John. But look at the shot on goal numbers it's not quite as much of a discrepancy, right? So there's still a discrepancy, but it's not quite as much of one. I think Northwestern had four more shots on goal maybe than, than Michigan did. So that is the key to me, is that only about half of Northwestern's shots were on frame because they were shooting from farther away. They were shooting through multiple defenders sometimes, and they weren't getting good enough looks to really be the type of scoring output that they've had all, all season because that comes with getting great looks and finishing on those looks. But on the flip side, I mean, Michigan was turning the ball all over like crazy. And, you know, 21 turnovers for Michigan, only 12 for Northwestern. And, you know, still, you know, final score, a one-goal game, you know, white-knuckling it down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely, Sam. I mean, the Northwestern defense showed up, right? That There's no doubt about that. The 21 turnovers are, are a direct result of that. The Wildcats were all over Michigan. 
um, in Michigan's offensive end, and they created a lot of those turnovers. But Michigan got back on defense really well. So usually when you see Northwestern create a ton of turnovers, it means they got seven transition goals, right? We've all seen the highlights, you know, Skane to Koykendall, back to Skane, and all of a sudden we're wide o- they're wide open in transition, and it's goal after goal after goal, right? We all know those highlights. But today, Michigan was getting numbers back quickly every time. And they do have a lot of team speed. So they were able to get back and stop that transition. So it was turnovers that were turning into slower possessions for Northwestern that it wasn't necessarily turnovers directly resulting in goals the way it has been for most of the season. So it was just little things that sort of built it into being a one-goal game, if you will. No, you talked about how other teams are going to struggle to replicate what Michigan did. And some of that certainly is the familiarity. I like. I know I was a little anxious just seeing that Michigan was going to pop up for the third time against right. this team. Um, I was not aware that Hannah Nielsen was their head coach. That's uh, m- mildly terrifying in retrospect, yes. but um, so now, now Northwestern gets Loyola, Maryland um, this coming Thursday. And I think you kind of, you've kind of intimated that that, that is a team that's going to struggle to do what North, what Michigan did today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's not that Loyola, Maryland has a bad defense because they don't, they actually have a great defense, but they have only faced, really one to one and a half teams that are the caliber of Northwestern this year. They, they played Syracuse very close early in the season, only lost them nine to seven. They lost to Florida, a solid team, but one that just got upset today, 14, 11, they lost them 14, 11. Other than that, they haven't played a team in, in the, uh, that's higher than ranked than 15th, which was army who they beat twice. They haven't faced a team with the talent of Northwestern since that Syracuse game. And even Syracuse does not have the offensive firepower that Northwestern has. So they're not used to it. Um, They're not used to seeing that kind of team speed and that kind of physicality. And you can watch as much film as you want. But the reason that Michigan, it took Michigan a couple games to really get used to what they actually wanted to do defensively against Northwestern is because, as you guys know, and as is the same in every other sport, it's very different to actually play against it, right? You can watch as much film as you want. You got to see it in person. And we see that a lot with these teams in the postseason that haven't seen Northwestern much before. Does that hurt Northwestern at all, given that of the of the remaining seven teams, um, six of them have played the Cats already? If I'm doing my math right. It hurts. Yeah, yeah. Your math is right. Um, I think it's six of the seven. I think it's everybody but Loyola, Maryland, right? No, they haven't played James Uh, Madison either. We didn't play Denver, did we? Nope. No James Madison, no Denver. But they have played. If. if we find ourselves playing James Madison, things have really gone right. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sign me up yeah. for that. Yes, exactly. Um, who just slipped by Maryland today, by the way. I thought Maryland was really going to make it in, and James Madison upset them at the very end, winning goal in the last minute. But anyways, um, yeah, I, I think I think because I think it it, hel- it hurts, but it helps the defense, right? It helps sure. Western defense to see these offenses because North Carolina's offense even though it struggled at times this year, has the same kind of firepower at its best that Northwestern has, right? When it's really clicking, it can have that same level of firepower. And Northwestern's defense has really figured out how to play North Carolina over these past couple mm-hmm. of years. We've seen I guess, the, I guess the other um, sub-bullet in here is that uh, when when the Cats played Boston College in Syracuse, uh, Haley Radigan was not on the field yet. Yeah, this is this is absolutely true. I think I think she... Did she not play at all against BC? I thought she first, played a, a first little. First four bit. games. Yeah, I don't think she had yeah, any right. any any action in those first four. That's right. Yeah, yeah. See, see, I totally blanked on that. But yes, absolutely. And I remember that Boston College game. Um, you know, I, I broadcast that one as well, and it felt like 
the Wildcats were going to lose the entire game until they found a way to win. And that was without Radigan. And they still found a way. And that was when they were still like, this This team did not look the same at the start of the year that they do now. Yeah, you know? that they very much. That for the last couple of weeks, I should say. So that that version of the team against Boston College, you know, Izzy Skane was still, I mean, she was, she's Izzy Skane always, but she was still finding her footing a little bit, right? I mean, that was only her third game coming off of a year of not playing. She was still finding her footing a little bit. And Koykendall was still recovering that that relationship with Skane that they used to have and that they've brought back to full effect over the course of the season. And of course, as you mentioned, no Radigan, it wasn't the offense that it is now. And now it's back to being that offense. And now the defense has had time to mature and grow and, and is continuing to be phenomenal and is really finding their footing as well. And of course, all those other teams have had the time to grow as well, but Northwestern is in a different place now than they were then. And part of it's Radigan and part of it's everybody else. So it's funny. We talk about Radigan because I've had an eye on Mercer all season, obviously, because she came from Mercer. But it's funny because, you know, looking and also like tracking, for example, Skane and Radigan's goal numbers. Right. right. But yeah. you you start tracking statistically the top highest, the highest scoring teams in the country. And you realize Mercer is right there. Right. That they're just pouring goals in. And then you see them go to the postseason and just get obliterated by Notre Dame in the first round. And it's kind of this reality check that's like, oh, that's right. Lacrosse is still a place where the the top teams and the, their power conferences, right, are still got this stranglehold over the top of the sport right now. And Northwestern's in that group. So looking at that top group, obviously, you know, you just talked about how Northwestern has gotten to such a different place than they were at the start. Where do you see the rest of the top of the group right now? Like these top seeds, like you've watched these teams since the beginning. Who do you feel like if you're looking at the top teams that are still here, who's putting the most fear of God into you right now? Like aside from the cats, who do you feel is in the strongest position right now? Well, John, that's a tricky question because are you asking me based off of only this year or are you based asking me based off of the women's lacrosse knowledge that has been beaten into my head over the last half decade? <laughs> I uh, no. Let me answer. Like, let me know, answer this way. I think you know what the answers are. No, we're no. Yeah. I'm going to say this: we're, we're not to the softball portion of the pod yet, so don't get me all fired up about laundry, my friend. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> and I will say it's not just laundry, right? With North Carolina, because that's the first yeah. thing I want to talk about here. It's not just laundry. They don't have the best player in the country anymore. Right. They don't. They they have five of the 20 best players in the country instead, because they always do, because they bring in one of the top three recruiting classes every year, just like Northwestern does now. Right. And and it's because the coaching is still the coaching at North Carolina. I was in a very interesting position for the Northwestern North Carolina game this year. I was the uh, TOC, which is a role I fill in a lot of Northwestern sports in the postseason. And I got the chance to do that in the regular season for them. I do it for Northwestern softball when they when they host the regional TOC stands for timeout coordinator. I, I don't know if you guys are aware. It's basically the red coat, the red hat football guy. We all know the red hat football. Oh yeah, guy. red hat guy. What what, everyone, what do you get to wear for? What do you get to wear no, for lacrosse? Don't let me wear any cool clothes for the other sports. It really is not fair, and I don't get to go stand on the field either. I just get to sit on the sideline and watch from like five feet away. But the thing for the TOC and in lacrosse is you're sitting right between the coaches' boxes. So I was I was listening wow. to all the back and forth between two of the best coaches in the history of the game for Northwestern and North Carolina. And North Carolina was really frustrated by Northwestern was what what Northwestern was doing on offense. Now, they couched it in being upset about flopping. That's what they said to the officials. But what it was, was 
they were getting beat all day defensively. That Northwestern was getting a shoulder ahead of the North Carolina defenders. And I don't think that a coaching staff that good is going to let that happen as much mm. as it did earlier this season again. Now, they don't have the quality of player 100% that they used to have. That's true. But it's still North Carolina. It's still a team that is going to game plan for you at any time. It's still a team I'm worried about. Now, it is not the team I'm most worried about, though. And that is? That would have to be Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to get. I was just going to say. It's not It's not even about the loss, right? Northwestern lost to Syracuse. Again, we've already mentioned without Radigan. Skane's first game back. She scored four goals, but she wasn't quite herself in that game. It's what they've done all year. Now, the ACC teams, Boston College, of course, don't get me wrong. They are a very real team to be scared of as well. But those three teams, BC, Syracuse, and North Carolina, have beaten up on each other in ACC play because they're all that good. But don't let that make you think that Syracuse is any less good than they were at the start of the season because they are just as fired up and ready to go right now. Look at the box score today against Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins may not be a phenomenal team, but they are a Big Ten team. They played against good competition all year, and Syracuse came out and waxed them. 25 to 8 today, guys, was the score. That's a that's round of 16 game that they won by 17 goals. That's okay? the high score in the uh, round of 16. By far. And it's hard to get to that many goals when you're beating a team by that much because the clock is running for most of the game. Actually, that's they, the high score throughout the tournament today. Yeah. The closest closest is Notre Dame's 21 against Mercer. <laughs> right, exactly. And John's Hopkins yeah, and Mercer are different calibers of program. Yeah. So that is, I mean, it's a John's Hopkins team that won their first round game by 11. You know, so it's not a team that is just limping into that game. Um, Syracuse is deadly offensively. They have, they they are the closest to Northwestern in terms of number of quality weapons that they can bring to bear on the offensive end. We all talk about how Northwestern has the, you know, the 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 three-headed scoring monster of Koykendall, Radigan, and Skane. It's really like six-headed if you count all the players who can really put the ball in the net when they're going good. Syracuse has that. They don't have the Izzy Skane. They don't have the Aaron Koykendall that because those players are singular players, but they have that ability to score across a, a ton of players and they can really fire it up defensively too. Syracuse is a team that can really give Northwestern fits. And we saw that in the first game of the season, even though this wasn't a wildcat team that was at its full strength. Is why I really get scared about this just trap, trappy trap game. Against yeah, I was, was going to say, let's who's... really try not to put the cart before the horse here. <laughs> I'm just... It's just a team that's brought 17 and two and played Syracuse really tight. Yep. What? Yeah. 18 and two. And just, yep. and just, uh, I know it's, I mean, it, it quickly, you, we're to the point, I think where where things really, really ramp up. I think so who, if you're, I guess if you had your list, I mean, again, coming out of this game where granted we talked about it being kind of an irregular game because of the familiarity and the fact that this is our third time playing Michigan. Um, but with all of that said, I mean, is there something specific you have on your wish list that it's like, okay, I want to see us come out and do blank against Loyola? Absolutely. It, Northwestern has been a second half team for a lot of this backstretch of the season, which is not to say they aren't good in first halves, but they've been great in second halves. For as good as that is, and as and as enjoyable as that is to come out of the second half and really make adjustments and go after teams, you want to see them jump on a team like Loyola. This is not a team that has the kind of offensive firepower that can keep up with the top of this sport. They played a very close game today against Stony Brook, a team that Northwestern handled with ease earlier this season, ended up beating them nine to eight. If you can get out on them early, you can get you can beat them. You can just beat 
them by doing that. And the way that Northwestern can do that is by getting into that transition that was taken away from them today against Michigan. If they can create the same kind of turnovers that they did today, Loyola is not going to be ready, as ready as Michigan was, to stop their breaks, to stop their transition, right? So you get one goal, and then you make a tra- you score in transition right after that, and then you score in transition right after that, and all of a sudden, they're beaten down, right? It'll only take an, a run in the opening going like that to really take control of this game. And as we know, Northwestern is a team that when they take control, they don't let up. So focus on transition, make the most out of your early turnovers and quick change possessions and and take control of this thing early so that you don't have to worry about it turning into a slugfest like it did today. Shall we uh, talk about the, the other sport on your uh, on before your before we before we do? I want to ask one last parting lacrosse yeah yeah, yeah. question. Um, and you guys can feel free to cut this out later if we if we de- if we decide that we don't want to go there. But um, I wanted to ask about the Twarton Award for this year. Sure. I mean, it's Izzy's, right? Is there is there anyone else that's in the mix? Like legit? I, I have a. I, I was going to say, I have a side question. This isn't going to be one of those Academy Award things where the vote gets split, is it? Between, between oh, two. I do not think the vote will get split. I think, I think, even though I honestly think that Cloakendall should get more consideration for it than she's going to get, but this is still a sport that prides goals, you know, and, and goals are goals, and Izzy scores the goals. And, and, and no shade on Izzy Skane. I do think she's the best player in the country. I do think she should win the towards an award, but I don't think she's going to split with Aaron Cloakendall. I do think. She will face some threat from the ACC. This is still a sport that revolves around the ACC. You yeah. have to remember that, guys, right? It's always going to be that way, even if Northwestern wins the next seven championships, right? This is something we'll talk about in softball as well, but it's true in lacrosse too. And so you can never discount an ACC player coming in to steal some votes because, you know, they're gritty and they are, you know, they're, 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 they have to play all the other great ACC teams. So that depresses their stats and all that even though I I certainly believe that Izzy Skane should win it. So it's not as slam dunky as you might think, even though I still think Izzy is the front runner. So, so who's on the short list from the ACC then? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the the goals per game stats on on the NCAA website right now. I mean, Jen Medij is is close to four for Boston College. Like, there's yeah, nobody Medjid else is, even in the top ten. Jen Medjid is, in my opinion, the, 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 the best candidate out of the – out of the ACC, okay. Megan Terrell is the other candidate. So it's it's those two. It's Medjid and Terrell, and and Isabella Peterson from James Madison is in the top five. I do not think she will be among the top three vote getters. For me, it's going to be Skane, Medjid, and Terrell. Although I think Koigendal has a has a case to be in that top three as well. Medjid is a scorer. She was great against Northwestern, even though they lost. She's been great all season. A very capable player and a bit of a two-way player. She can really track back defensively, too, even though she is an attacker. And, and Terrell is just, she holds that Syracuse attack together, even though it's more of a score-by-committee thing out there. She's the leader of, of the second-best attack in the sport, and so that's going to merit her some votes, too. Again, I think it's Izzy. It should be Izzy, absolutely. But those two are great players, and I think that people are going to think long and hard about their vote when, when those two are on the ballot. It's so interesting to me that you like the, the way you described Terrell, uh, ter, because that's exactly the argument for Koikendall. Right. Except that yeah. Koikendall has scored way more goals. Yeah. Well, again, I do think that Aaron Koikendall has had a better season than Megan Terrell, but sometimes these two origin votes turn into career votes, if you will. Yeah, fair. Right? 
and 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 Terrell has had a great career. So if you look beyond just this season, sometimes that's what comes into it. But I, but I I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. If if that's the case, would there be a possibility because Skeen is coming back for next year? Would they say, oh, we'll just give it to her next year? Uh, they wouldn't tell you. They'd say, well, that. of course not. <laughs> yeah. no, Sam, that's yes, yes. I mean, I think it has happened before that way. Okay. Selena Lasota, this is going way back. Her best case with Tort, in my opinion, was her junior year. But people were like, well, she's going to get better in her senior year, so we better not give it to her this year. That That is not going to happen this year, I don't think, because it's kind of different. But it it can happen. It can. I, I Again, I still think Izzy's going to win. She certainly should win. But it just it just is not as slam dunky as it should be, if you will. I need to amend my prayer statement. Terrell actually has one additional goal above Koykendall, but their, st- their stats are so similar. Right. Right. I mean, this is, I mean, it's all, that's all well and good, but Noah's right. This is the trains award. Like it you got to, like it, it, it should, it, it should be. be. Uh, speaking of people coming back, um, you know, <laughs> as we pivot to softball, uh, Northwestern winning the big 10 tournament for the first time since 2008, which when I saw that stat, it, that blew my mind you know, as, as talented as this program has been for them not to have won uh, the tournament since then is huge. Uh, but, you know, you got the, the five grad students coming back, all contributing in the Big Ten tournament, obviously. And then, you know, to win the Big Ten tournament in the fashion that they did. I mean, so they beat Iowa three to one on Thursday, Friday, uh, run rule Nebraska, eight nothing. And then on Saturday, that uh, two to one come from behind win over Indiana, which was just incredible to watch. Maeve Nelson had the quote of the year after her walk-off winner against Indiana. And I don't know if you guys saw this. <laughs> she was interviewed on the field. And this this is – I've been trying to find a way to say this all year, and she just she just really summed it up uh, to the Big Ten Network and Lisa Byington um, right after that walk-off win when she had the walk-off single in that in that Indiana game you were talking about, Sam. Well, single. I mean, she one-hopped it off the wall. But it was a, it was a walk-off hit. Um, she said – well, she was talking about how much trust this team has in each other and how they're always able to come back. And they walked it off once again in the bottom of the seventh. I believe their sixth walk-off win in the bottom of the seventh this year, or bottom of the seventh or later, I should say, this year, not including run rule wins. Um, she said, we can do it because we're so willing to pass the bat. You know, we trust the person in front of us and behind us. We we are not trying to go up there and hit seven run homers. We all know that everybody else in the lineup can do it. And then she said, you know, one to nine, we're kind of nasty. And yep. that's exactly what it is. You know, you look at this lineup – Dave Nelson had the game winner. Kelsey Nader, the eight hitter, the, the true first year, drove in all three runs against Iowa with a single and, and, a, and a triple. She's been fantastic all through the order. And of course, I mean, we all know about, you know, Jordan Rudd, number three. Everybody's learned about Kansas Robinson in the two spots. Skylar Shellmeyer, everybody knows, right? You know, Nikki Cochran, Angela Zedak have been RBI leaders all year for this team. Kana Katie in the middle of the lineup. But it is the whole thing, right? It is the entire lineup that can contribute and can make things happen every single game. And that's how they won this weekend. That's how they won all season. I thought it was so poetic that Maeve got the game winner because she, she has, she, it has been a down year for her offensively um, compared to last year, uh, her average, her power, et cetera. Um, and I just like, it just, it just made me so happy uh, that she was the one that got the game winner. She got the home run the day before. Right. Um and then John, you found you know you 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 well, found that's that's the, the thing the yeah, poetry the two gifts, for me, yeah right it's it book I mean for us 
And I think for a lot of people, right, because, I mean, we all know, like, when this group were um, sophomores, they were an unbelievable team. But then COVID came along and threw a wrench in everything. And then the team was just in different shakes coming out of COVID. And but then you we've had two absolutely magical years. And that's the thing. It's difficult for us. Um, and I think you feel the same way, Noah, but it's difficult for us to talk about softball without starting to wax poetic a little bit right. because there's there's so much. But I mean, in the case of Maeve, you can almost bookend everything that's happened over the past two years by her two home runs, the right. UCLA home run and then the the home run to to win the Big Ten tournament. Um, and I just want to say, too, let, I, this is as good a place to insert this as anywhere. Um, someone else who had an awesome softball season, Noah Kaufman, had an awesome softball yes. season. If, if, if we might give you your flowers, my friend, uh, you the I was specifically having a phone conversation with someone uh, over this past week about one of your many home run calls this year. Um, and the person was saying, I don't know how he knew it saying, I don't know how he knew it off the bat that quick which is funny because we have had that exact conversation with you earlier this year. Um, and we're amazed by it. I mean, you have called, I mean, the team has given you put a lot on your plate and you have, you've, you've done some amazing stuff. So, so just let's insert that there. Congrats. You, you must, I mean, for you being able to call this season must've just been epic. Yeah. It's been incredible guys. I mean, I've, I've been blessed to watch so many games of the J right. I mean, this is a team that has the third longest home winning streak in the country. And they have it for a reason. They dominate at the J. They make it happen at the J. And, and you know, I can go back. You know, I've had so many great calls here at the J. The chance to have great moments to have great calls. Uh, you know, Lily, Lily Novak had a walk-off grand slam in the 10th inning against Wisconsin uh, all the way back in, I think that was 2021, I think it was. It, this team has been walking walking off big games, you know, since I got the chance to put on the, the headphones, you know. And so they'd given me the opportunity to have so many uh, awesome chances to call big, big moments. And, uh, so it all comes from them, you know? So I, it, it is really incredible. We're we've, we've talked about this on the pod multiple times, but Sammy and I, you know, going to the second game of the Nebraska series and having Kansas Robinson hit a home run that missed my daughter by five feet to win the game. And then being able to go back that night and listen to your call of it was just, I mean, for us, that's, that's everything. That's just perfection. Um, obviously, again, we could wax poetic forever. We're all, and we talked about this, I think, all of us with you, even before we got on this pod, we're all kind of managing right now, kind of a little trying to take the high road here. This sure. 12 seed thing just came down the pipe. We're all, we've all only been aware of it for a couple of hours at the time. Uh, we could, just suffice to say, not the number a lot of us were looking for. Um, so let's yeah. so let's start there because I know you have a lot of thoughts. Well, Starting on the seeding and, and heading into the postseason. Well, I'll say this, right? Northwestern is in the top eight in RPI. This is this this is a committee that is historically seated very much along RPI lines. They deserve to be in the top eight to me. They weren't, but that's the way it goes sometimes, right? At the same time, this is a team that has always thrived with the chip on their shoulder. You know, and that chip can come from very different places. You know, last year, and we'll get into all the postseason runs in this one because they're all relevant to this year, as we'll get into. Last year, 
They were the ninth seed. They were, it was a fair seeding. They were where they were supposed to be. But everybody and their mother was picking Notre Dame to come out of the Evanston Regional. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys remember this, but everybody was saying Notre Dame is the trendy upset pick. Now, they got beat by McNeese. They couldn't even get by McNeese, and then Northwestern took care of business. But that chip on the shoulder lasted all the way to Oklahoma City. I'll tell you that. This is a team that is very good at finding motivation for themselves. And it's not that they need that outside motivation, but it helps. It helps. And going down to the 12 seed when they know they shouldn't be. I mean, go back and look at the video of Northwestern reacting to the when they when they showed the video of the team reacting after they were put in the 12 spot. There's there's some smiles and some claps and there's some, you know, some scowls and some uh, some determination on the faces. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see that translate to the field. I'll just say that. So the, put, put in a region with Miami, Ohio, Eastern Illinois, and Kentucky, um, you know, I, I, I can't sit here and tell you that I know much about any of those teams, but uh, can, can you preview this, this uh, regional for us a little bit? Well, I'll tell you this. Northwestern knows a lot about these teams. Not Eastern Illinois, but they know a lot about Kentucky and Miami of Ohio. That's, why, that's because, let me take you back to 2021. Remember, that was the season that the Big Ten played a conference-only football schedule. Um, so Northwestern went 30 and 17 that year, slipped into the NCAA tournament as a four seed in the region of, in the Lexington region. That was my senior year at Northwestern. I was lucky enough to be able to go down to Lexington and broadcast those games at WNUR Sports uh, with my friend Jacob Brown. Um, we had a great time. Northwestern won one, lost two. The teams that were in that regional, Kentucky, of course, the host in Lexington, Notre Dame, who Northwestern saw again last year, and Miami of Ohio, who was the three seed in that regional and is back in Evanston this year. So softball is a, is a sport where you make a lot of NCAA tournaments in a row. You're going to be surrounded by teams that make a lot of NCAA tournaments in a row in regions around you. Northwestern played Kentucky first that year. Then they played Miami of Ohio and beat them to get back to play Kentucky again. Played them a second time, lost to Kentucky both times that season. A lot of players from both those teams are back this year. Northwestern beat Kentucky earlier in the season as well. These are Those are two teams that know each other very well. The Wildcats know a lot about Miami of Ohio too. Eastern Illinois, a bit more of an unknown, but but – those top three teams know each other for sure. So if we're looking at from context, because obviously baked into this, this goes all the way back to the lacrosse conversation that we were having, but baked into all of this with the seeding relative to the RPI relative to this schedule that coach Drohan tried to take on to take this team out, right. Is, is this notion of these blue bloods, right. And these top conferences that the powers in the sport where everyone plays everyone and, you're you're battling against perception so much when it comes to things like that. Well, given that, where where do you see? And, and this is, you know, to an extent, we talked about some of this stuff kind of in our midseason when we had Ben Rosenberg on. But where do you see these blue bloods? Like, who are you looking at? Obviously, we know Oklahoma is still on top. But where do you see this landscape? Where do you feel Northwestern slots into it at this particular place in time? Well, the, the top four in this tournament, the top four seeds, where everybody knew it was going to be the top four for the last week and a half, okay? And everybody knew it was going to be the top two for the last two and a half months. Oklahoma and UCLA or Oklahoma and UCLA. And it's the UCLA of last year. It might be even better than that. Megan Foramo is back. Maya Brady is back. They've got a dynamite lineup. Them, Oklahoma, that's the two teams to beat. Northwestern has already played both of those teams to one-run games this season, Right. Then you look at three and four, you look at Florida State, Tennessee, two more very veteran teams from traditionally softball rich parts of this country um, who are very capable of, of making it happen as well. Those are the four that everybody's been looking at for the past couple of weeks and, and the top two for the past couple of months. 
as the teams to beat. And obviously it's always Oklahoma, but that group of four is a tough nut to crack. Now Northwestern has already shown that they can crack them at least a little. And if the Wildcats can get to Oklahoma City, which is a big if, they will have the they will have a lot of 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 help against those teams that they didn't have last time. One of which being they were there last year. They have that experience. Um second of which being Danielle Williams is back has more help than she did last year and has less fewer innings on her arm than she did last year. Big, big benefits. So when I look at the Wildcats matching up against those top teams, which is a long way off, they got to do a lot to get there, to be clear. I see a lot of potential benefits for Northwestern. Again, not putting the cart before the horse, but you know, kind of looking past the Evanston Regional, um, you Whoever comes out will take on the winner of the Tuscaloosa Regional. Yes. Um, now, is is that – will whoever comes out of that, if it's not Alabama, would they be the home team? Well, first of all, Northwestern, yes, would be the home team. Okay. If a team came out of that that was not Alabama. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Sam, because there's a couple of very interesting things about that, right? That's my favorite thing, actually, about Northwestern getting the 12 seed is that they get to face Alabama. Alabama, everybody – believes to be the most overseeded team in the country this this season everybody thought they would be outside the top 10 let alone outside the top eight they're fifth right there's a team that lost 18 games in the regular season okay in the well 17 in the regular season one in the conference tournament but 18 they're 40 and 18 they've they've beaten a lot of top 10 teams they've lost to a lot of teams in every ranking they are very capable of losing games they are a team that is led by montana fouts if you really track back in your memory, you may remember Montana Fouts well as the the player who was battling heavily with Danielle Williams her freshman year for pitcher of the for, sorry for freshman of the year nationally. Alabama fans were very upset when Danielle Williams won that over Fouts, who had a phenomenal freshman season and has been great ever since. Fouts, however, injured her leg during the SEC tournament last week. It's not clear to us how severe that injury is at this point, but Alabama is a team that relies on her heavily, as you might imagine. I mean, she's a Danielle Williams caliber pitcher, even though she does it in a different way. She's a more high velocity, more rise ball type pitcher than Williams. But they're they're very similar in what they do for their teams, you know, as the leaders. Um, so to not be with her this weekend, which we're not sure how limited she'll be, whether she'll be fully ready to go, whether she'll pl- pitch at all. If, they're, if they miss even a little bit of her, that would be bad. And they're a team that's already a bit ripe for an upset because they have to face the University of Central Arkansas, who is number 17 in RPI, very talented team, and will be coming into Tuscaloosa with a lot to prove. It's all fa- I mean, it's, it's all fascinating, and it, it takes a lot of the sting out of the seeding thing, right? And I think that's one of the reasons we were so excited, because you were the first person to come in to us with all this information, because we've been talking today, and I think we were all so bummed, and a lot of Northwestern was bummed, and, and honestly, like, we're all still, like, a little pissed about it, like, I think, because of the respect thing, and and the notion of places with snow feeling literally and figuratively frozen out of the sport sometimes. But you came in and were right. I mean, it's like you can see this path and you can see it there. And and honestly, too, and this goes back to the experience thing that we talked about before. I think the the fact that we've all seen this team go out to Tempe and and do it in the desert, right? And and just know that that, that potential is there. You mentioned the pitching a little bit, and I'm curious. So we were used to in the in the postseason last year. It was like we got to the postseason, then it was like climb on Danielle Williams is back. Here we go. 
what are you expecting in terms of the amount of pitching? Like, do you think, like, do you expect Cammy Henry's going to get a game in this, in this regional, or do you think it's going to be heavy Danielle or like Danielle and, and Lauren split a game or like, how are you seeing this shaping up? Well, we'll definitely see Lauren Boyd, a good amount of Lauren Boyd for sure. I'm not sure we'll, we'll see Cammy Henry unless the situation is really, really calls for it. I think the reason, and not the only reason, there were a lot of reasons. One of the main reasons that Northwestern spent so much time with Cammie Henry and with Lauren Boyd in the circle this year is so that Daniel Williams could have a much easier road into the postseason. And we saw it this weekend in the Big Ten tournament. It was Danielle time. She got the ball and she was ready to go, right? Not that she wasn't ready last year, but the innings are not as much on her arm this year. And as much as some softball people, and, and I'm not meaning any harm or 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 or, or any negativity to them. When I say this, as much as some softball people and even Danielle Williams herself would certainly tell you this, that they don't, that those innings, you know, don't, she doesn't think about them. They don't matter that much. They do matter, right? They matter at least some, if only because opposing teams see you more, all that stuff, right? It matters. And she's not going to have that weighing her down coming into this postseason. She is ready to go. She is pitching her best softball and we will see a lot of her this postseason the way we saw a lot of, a lot of her last postseason. But Lauren Boyd is also pitching her best ball right now, the best ball of her career, in my opinion. And so we'll see Lauren Boyd, too. And that's the great thing is it can be Lauren Boyd. Like you said, it can be Boyd and Williams splitting a game. It can be Lauren Boyd to come in on Saturday and take a, and just take a game and give Danielle the day off. And then Williams comes back maybe to close that game or to or to or to finish on Sunday. I don't think we'll see a ton of Kemi Henry in unless Northwestern is up by a lot or down by a lot. But I could be wrong there. I just don't think so. But I think Lauren Boyd and Danielle Williams will split the load and we will see a lot of number 24 in the circle. I just I just want to put it in perspective for everyone. So. This year, Danielle Williams has pitched 131 innings. She's got a 219 ERA, a 105 whip. She's 19 and one. I know, you know, she started the season a little bit rocky. Uh, a couple early outings didn't look great. Actually, that Kentucky game was her first victory and the first time she really looked like Danielle Williams to us. Last year, very similar ERA, two, 2.09, slightly better whip, 1.02. Again, pretty similar. 31 and six versus the 19 and one this year. 251 innings pitched. Wow. Almost double almost double the workload she has had this season that just i mean to, to put it into context like that's massive yeah yeah absolutely that's exactly what i'm talking about you you, you hit the nail on the head right there and it's it's less pressure innings she's had way more innings with the lead this year they've they, they've relied on her a little bit less in the key moments boyd has taken a lot of key moments in conference play when they've needed her but when it when it needs to be, it's the Daniel Williams show. And and we already know how well that show goes. You know, my, my great friend, my, my friend Ben Gorin, um, who is at Twitter, Twitter under a different name. But those of you who know, know, um, he, he said yesterday, you know, when when is the statue for Daniel Williams going up? And I have the same question, because after this postseason, I think I think a lot of people are going to be willing to throw a lot of money towards that statue building. Yeah, absolutely. Along those same lines, because I was just thinking about this. Um, so two part question. First of all, do you have, you know, this this regional, are you going to be on the call for any of the any of the Evanston games? No broadcast, unfortunately. ESPN takes this one uh, centrally, so they they don't they don't farm any of this out for the regional. But I will be there on the sideline 
I will be doing my my postseason softball job, which I've done for the last couple of years now, which is I hold the little clock that says how long the inning goes. Timeout coordinator again, like we talked about. And I and I look at the coaches and they get really mad at me when the clock still says that there's 45 seconds left because ESPN takes really long commercial breaks. And I just stand there with the clock and I say, you know, that's the clock. And then I tell the ESPN <laughs> people when they get something wrong. That's the other thing I do. Can you wear well, like some red gloves or something, Noah? Just like. I mean, somebody's going to get me some red gloves is the thing. But yeah. I, I get a big clock. You know, the clock is good. There's big red okay. numbers on the clock. I mean, is this, I mean, is this like a like a flavor flave? Like you can wear it around your oh, neck I kind of clock or that would be good. It's like a tripod and then there's a big rectangle on it. OK, I mean, you know, statue this statue that can we get Noah some gloves? That's what we're saying. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, so so let me frame it this way, then, you know, if you without the pressure to be calling these games, you'll be there. You'll have a chance to reflect a little bit. Um, what will your, what are your kind of feelings? I mean, you, you've been here for the whole, for the whole run of these super seniors and, and the, one of the great all time runs, like, what are your, what are your takeaways? What are your thoughts as, as this group, you know, makes their last ride here? Well, first, you know, and I'll get into all the, the, uh, the looking back in a second, but first I think they've set this team up so well going forward. A lot of the times, I feel like especially in basketball, right, and you guys can can speak to this maybe a little more than me, and in football as well, you see teams bring back a bunch of fifth-year seniors, and all of a sudden it screws up the depth, right, that they've, they've got all these kids who now aren't playing, so they transfer out, and then they, and all of a sudden the next three years start to not look as good, right? That's the opposite of what this group has done. They came back for a fifth year, and they made the foundation stronger than ever. This team has been able to contribute still with a couple first years starting with Bridget Donahue playing major time off off the bench with with sophomores in the mix. They've got a huge recruiting class coming in next year, which is not as high ranked as some of their other recruiting classes have been, but is still a really good looking class with some very interesting players. The class after that features two of the top 10 players in the country that the, the foundation that they have built for this program. And I'm, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, a secondary tangent that I'm going to go off on a second. If you guys will indulge me, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about I think Sam brought it up. First Big Ten tournament championship since 2008. It's also only their second Big Ten championship at all since 2008. They didn't win any between 08 and 22. This group brought this team back to where they were, right? They built that foundation underneath. And it wasn't them alone, right? Rachel Lewis was there. The the group that was juniors and seniors when they were young, you know, the Morgan Newport, the Lily Novak, the Morgan Nelson, right? That group, of course, played a huge role in that. Sabrina Raven, even, even before, Sammy Netling, even before. But but this group has built that foundation of being back to a top 10 program in the nation, back to Big Ten contenders every single season, and not just it being Michigan and maybe Minnesota at the top. And when I look at them, I think of what the future can be now that they've laid that foundation, right? And of course, you know, every one of them individually, there's so many memories. You mentioned Maeve. John, I think you said it perfectly, the way she's bookended these past two years, the clutch hitter to end all clutch hitters, right? She always comes up huge when the moment calls for it. Jordan Rudd, you know, the RBI queen, third in program history. She plays every game. She gets hit in a, every single game with a foul ball like four times a game, and she and she's like in some unimaginable pain, and she just comes back in and catches the rest of the game and gets three hits to go along with it. You know, Nikki Cochran, every year, heats it up for Big Ten play makes it happen in Big Ten play, makes it happen in the postseason, gets the key singles that the team needs when nobody's expecting her to, to bring them, right? And 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 Skylar Schellmeyer is starting that whole engine, 
And she always has, even her first year when she was getting acclimated to college softball, when she was finding her legs as a true slap hitter in the college ranks, she was still bringing that energy. And it's only multiplied since then. I mean, there's a reason BTN features her every inning of their Big Ten tournament broadcast. It's because she brings that juice every day. And, you know, there's not much to be said about Danielle Williams that hasn't been said already, but she she does everything you could possibly ask for as a pitcher and as a leader in the circle for this team. So it's a group I'll never forget, but it's also a group I'll never forget for what they set in motion. And I hope we really see the fruits of that come to bear in these next few years. We, we talked about this a little bit on our last podcast, and and it was in part relate in relation to Boo Booey's return to the basketball team. And what we felt is the the bridging that that will do between what that team achieved this year and the continued growth of a Brooks Barnheiser and a, a Matt Nicholson. And, and in the same vein, these, these, these super seniors, right? Like Nader and Robinson in particular, these first years, um, Nito, yeah. Nito Skaborski, right? Like, yes. um, I, Iana Lindsay, right? Like they've, yes. they've had two years with this group now. And that just, that goes so far in terms of, confidence and development and seeing other players do it in the moment, the grit that this team shows game in and game out. Right. Like, so I like a hundred percent agree with what you're saying there. Um, that, that legacy of not just the, what they've achieved during their time here, but what can come after is, um, really what's on the table for this group. Real quick, before we let you go, um, I, I want to go back to, uh, to the Indiana game, uh, this past weekend. The run that Indiana scored was one of yeah. the most garbage plays I've ever seen. I, like, I didn't think we had to talk about this, Sam. They won the game. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. Fair, we fair. Had, well, you know, it's, it's, well, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, it's funny because people we've had as podcast guests, podcast guests on this pod in the past came to us with that very thing this weekend. And, Look. and we, and our, our take was kind of the same thing, which was, yeah, I, I mean, I, I look at it as a, it, it was all just a setup for me. If that's kind of the way I, I don't like burning bridges with umpires guys, it's not good for my profession and fair. my, and my life. Fair, fair, fair. So I will not comment on that particular play. Other than to say, <laughs> Sam said the thing that he said, and that's and that's the comment I'll give. But I hope you're you're not, you're, you're, I want to talk a little bit more about the Evanston Regional if we have time. Please, maybe absolutely. No, you're go not, ahead. You're not wrong, Sam. It was garbage. Okay. But go ahead, Noah. That, talk about that, the Evanston Regional. I just had to get that off my chest. I, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I had this whole. I had this whole thought out thing about how I was going to set up the Evanston regional. And then I went away from it to talk about like 30 other things. So, you know, I kind of, I kind of messed, messed myself up there. But. Set it up, set it up for us. So, so Kentucky and Miami are these teams that have this history with Northwestern. You know, Miami has been this program in recent years that has been this huge hitting program. And they were that two years ago. That was really the peak of that program. They had Courtney Vierstra who threw a million innings. Look at how many innings she threw. And this year it's the same thing for them. They have one pitcher who throws 7 billion innings. That's, Brianna Pratt, she has thrown. So remember, remember the number that Scott said, right? Danielle Williams last year threw 251 innings. That it reminds was, me of what? reminds me of McNeese last year. Right, exactly. Yes. So remember, Danielle Williams threw 251 innings. That was with all the games, all the way through the Women's College World Series. Miami of Ohio has not gotten to the postseason, the, the full postseason yet. Brianna Pratt has thrown 246 innings. 246. She has 30 wins and 10 losses. Now. She has really struggled against better teams when Miami has played them. They're going to have their bats really expected to carry them. That starts with Chicago native Carly Spade, who went to Lane Tech, which is about four blocks away from where I'm recording this right now, went to high school with my sister. 
Carly Spade is a phenomenal hitter. She hit 21 home runs this year. She's hit 20 home runs in every season with the Red Hawks. That's how good of a hitter she is. And she can really hit. This whole team can really hit. And the J is a hitting environment, as we all know. But the problem is that pitching is going to be tough to really carry them for Miami. Remember, they have to match up first with Kentucky, who is a very interesting team. Kentucky still has the stars that led them to that Lexington regional victory against Northwestern and Notre Dame two years ago. They still have Aaron Koffel in the middle of their lineup, who's phenomenal. They still have Kayla Kowalik at the top of their lineup, who's one of the very best hitters in the entire country. Pure hitters. She hit 450 this year. Koffel hit 427, and she had 17 bombs. Those two players are phenomenal. They've got Vanessa Nesby, who's very good as well. Margaret Tobias and Riley Smith are great players. But the bottom of their order is a little bit suspect. They haven't been as deep this year as they've been in years past. And the pitching has struggled in SEC. Play Now, everybody's pitching struggles, at least some in SEC play. There's a reason, even though I do think they're a bit overhyped, that the conference is sending 12 teams to the NCAA tournament. But Kentucky especially has had their troubles. Stephanie Schoonover is the ace. She did miss a month of the season, though. She came back for the last few weeks of the year. She's pitched to a 190 ERA, but she's certainly hittable, even though she's a very good pitcher. And the rest of this staff has been very up and down over the course of the season for Kentucky. So another team capable of hitting but a bit more top-heavy. They really are a star-power-driven squad, if you will. Those are the top two. And then Eastern Illinois, a team that is not as familiar with playing top-end competition. They haven't done much of it this year. When they have, they've struggled. They're a capable squad coming out of their conference. They've got 34 wins this season, but they are the fourth seed in the region, in the region for a reason. It's going to be tough for them to come against Northwestern in that first game. But still, it's a team that's won their conference, that's, that's won their way here, and, and we'll see what they can bring to the regional. All I heard was Kentucky saying, eh, one to six were kind of nasty. And I don't mean to say that Kentucky, you know, the bottom of the order, you know, it's an SEC team. The reason their numbers are a little bit down again, the SEC depresses numbers. It, it, it does what it does. But, but Kentucky lost to Northwestern nine to three earlier this year. The Wildcats, I think, think that they can get going off of this Kentucky pitching staff, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't disagree with them in any way there. So speaking of numbers, to adjust my Daniel Williams innings pitched for the postseason last year, which like dang nabbit, um, you had to bring that up, didn't you? Um, <laughs> what what'd she throw? Probably about fifty in the postseason, you think? Somewhere around there. I mean, it's yeah. still, still, she was around. She was a little over two hundred, I believe, when this season ended. Yeah. So she's still. So you- well yeah, behind what she was at last year. Yeah, you're talking about 200 versus versus 130, so like roughly. Which is a significant, very two, significant. Two-thirds of what she pitched last year. Right. Still a really big deal. But I'm a numbers guy. I like to be accurate, Noah. Thank you for indulging me. Sorry about that. No, you're good. And, and I want to be clear, by the way, with Schoonover, who I talked about. She pitched against Northwestern, and Northwestern got two runs off of her. They also pitched Kentucky three of the other pitchers so the wildcats have seen the top three kentucky arms and one of the other three kentucky arms um already this season and as you guys mentioned i, I think it was because you mentioned it against that against kentucky daniel williams had her first really good game this season seven innings one earned run um was phenomenal so these are all things to think about as 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 we head into this game this this weekend i should say is there any hitter in this regional that when sydney Supley comes in and strikes them out 
is another name that she can put on her uh, her dot board <laughs> next to Jocelyn Alba. Well, the tough thing for Sydney is that the Kentucky team does not have the same sort of cultural cachet as a Jocelyn Alba. Kayla Kowalik is a phenomenal hitter, and she does not strike out a whole lot. So if she came in and struck out Kayla Kowalik, I would personally do that if I were Sydney Supley. But, you know, I, I can't speak for what for what Sydney's going to want to do herself. Let's see it. Let's see them run it. Let's see them. We'll, we'll get to that statue. That statue should be coming at some point anyway. But until then, yeah, let's see them do it. I mean, this weekend, we've seen this kind of thing before. But I mean, man, to be a to be a Northwestern student or to be anyone with the time and ability to go to all this, because you're talking 6.30 p.m. Thursday night, Loyola, Northwestern hosting Loyola, Maryland, and then in lacrosse. And then a full regional at the J. It's, I mean, and, what a weekend! And Saturday's Dillo Day, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, now, don't let Northwestern students tell you that they need to go to Dillo Day instead of going to the regional. Okay, I went to Dillo Day oh. recently. I know you guys have your, your experiences. All right, it's fine. Okay, we can still go to the regional during the day. We have the start times. All right, twelve o'clock on Saturday, two thirty and five. All right, there's no need to go to the early stuff on Dillo Day. That's all I'm saying. I, or, or, or hear me out. Hear me out. Do both. Why not That's both? What I'm Start at the I, regional, get going at the regional, and then get to Dillo Day after that. I think it my my entire feeling on that on this is summed up as everyone who had every there were a lot of students who had the ability to play that COVID Dillo Day card one time, and they played it last year. That card is no longer in your hands now. I love that. You got your Dillo day. So it's again, time to prioritize. Again, kegs and eggs and beer in the shower is basically how we all start football Saturdays. Yeah. I, I, like, I, these things are not mutually exclusive, folks. Yes, but but I, I will say, Scuzz, as, as someone who once spent the entire second half of a Dillo day laid up in in our bedroom of our apartment with Garth Robertson as the result of some poor early morning choices. Exercise moderation so you can be That's the right. best fan that you can be on Dillo Day. That's what I'm saying. That's fair. <laughs> I do have I do have to get one more stat in here, guys. I'm sorry. Uh to, to I'm I'm shoehorning it in a little bit, but I do want I, I I do want to really emphasize how good that top of the Kentucky lineup is, okay? Because because Northwestern is going to have to face them, and I want to emphasize it. We talk a lot. I, I talk a lot on the broadcast about how good Northwestern is at, at earning free passes. Okay, Nikki Cochran and Jordan Rudd have both earned twice as many free passes as, as they have strikeouts this year. Really impressive numbers. Okay, Aaron Koffel for Kentucky has had five times as many free passes as strikeouts this year. So this is a Kentucky team. The top of the lineup is going to be a big test for Danielle Williams, but. She is very capable of responding to those kinds of tests. So well, when, I got to get when, that in there before we get back to the Dillo Day stuff. When, so. when Koffel saw uh, Danielle <laughs> earlier this season, one walk, one strikeout. So you This know. is true. This is true. Much better yeah, ratio. That, yeah, that Indiana offense was supposed to be pretty high-powered too. And um, Taryn Kern had very similar walk-to-strikeout numbers before she she faced Danielle Williams. So yeah. you're, you're yeah. right about that. I, the, the, the Williams battle station is ready. Uh, newsflash. Coach Drohan, pretty good at coaching. Knows That's what uh, knows how to set things up. Has mm. has and, played the long game and played the chess game all season for precisely this moment. 
Uh, another key, another key for this weekend, guys. All right, we have to remember these are not. This is not a Notre Dame fan base that Northwestern is facing here. Okay, the parents for Notre Dame last year showed up great. That's awesome. There were not other Notre Dame fans there because that's Notre Dame, right? We can we can all have our own private thoughts now about after what I've said about what Notre Dame is. I'm not going to say them out loud, but we can all now have our private thoughts about that. <laughs> Kentucky is not that fan base. The fans will be in Evanston. There will be people who have no relation to anybody on the Kentucky softball team traveling to Evanston to get rowdy for the Evanston Regional. That's what's going to happen. Because it's SEC softball, that's what they do. So we got to show up this weekend for Northwestern because the Kentucky fans will be there. And we don't want it to be a blue J, if you if you will. Yes, ag- agreed. How long were you workshopping yes. that, that last one there? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I was, no. you know, think, no thinking about bl- it a little bit. No Blue Jays, exactly. There, yes, which all goes back to again, like Scuzz said, very charitably, you can have both. Exactly. But there's an order to the both, and it starts with packing the J. So, sure. yeah. Oh uh, well, no, we don't want to take up your whole night. I know we could just keep talking and talking and talking, but uh, uh, do appreciate you, you know giving us what was left of your voice after calling the lacrosse game earlier today. <laughs> um, again, th- thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on. And we will definitely catch up with you down the road. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. Always appreciate you guys giving me the platform and giving me the chance to talk to you three. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. Uh, thanks again, Noah Kaufman. Uh, very much a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk with him. Uh, just really, really great stuff. Just, I'm surprised I don't have a, a big Sam size hole in my uh, studio here because I ran through it. Um, but yeah, huge games coming up this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, lacrosse, softball. Let's get it done. Yeah. And Noah, he's so self-deprecating the way he talks about his own calls. But I think anyone who listens to the games knows this. And But for those of you who don't, I mean, we all know Dave Ennett is Mr. Cat um, and is your voice for Northwestern football, Northwestern basketball. But if it's lacrosse, softball, field hockey, to the extent Northwestern has a voice for those, it's Noah. And obviously, we know about all the great student journalists Northwestern has working. I mean, heck, I was listening to Ali Navarrete's uh, call of lacrosse just today in my car uh, for WNUR. But Noah is that guy and he is that broadcaster. And he has, you know, he's just the quality of his work and the amount of the broadcasting that he does across those three sports is incredible. And um, he's a mainstay and we're hoping he's going to be in a mainstay for a long, long time, just like Anna has been. Uh, real, real quick, and I know we got some exciting news that we want to talk about, but real quick before we go there, I wanted to hit that uh, also happening this weekend, the Women's NCAA Golf Championships, which will feature Northwestern. Um, they were one of the, the top five teams coming out of the regional. 
this past weekend. Michigan State, Duke, Texas, and LSU are the other four. So uh, Cats are right in the mix for a uh, women's golf championship. And then, pause, I'm just checking to see if the men are playing as well. The men are also playing as well. And the men are also playing uh, in the the national championship on the men's side, which is not this weekend; it's the following weekend. So um, only one, only one additional uh, high leverage athletic event for Northwestern coming up in the next seven to ten days. Yeah, I mean that that's we, we definitely do not give uh, enough attention to both the men's and the women's golf programs. Um, but we'll keep an eye on that as we get into the these upcoming championship weekends. Kind of see what we can see. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a little bit more purple national championship uh, possibilities here going on. Big news from football. Um, you know, we had, we were wondering about this uh, a week or so ago um, when we saw that uh, AJ Henning had entered the transfer portal, and we were starting to like put our tinfoil hats on and string the the pins on the wall and the maps and the red lines and the string and kind of putting everything together. And, you know, would, would it make sense? It, it might make sense for, for Henning to come to Northwestern. And lo and behold, uh, AJ Henning, now a Wildcat. It's a really, really big deal. <laughs> and the, it, there are whole separate discussions to be had that there's plenty of time down the road in other podcasts, especially as we get into the summer, to talk about all the areas we've seen Northwestern improve despite the, the hole that this team was down at the end of last season. And then all of the big areas that there is still massive need, right, that that may not be filled in the way we want it to be filled. But that can all come down the road. We talked a lot about Henning's potential last year last week and everything that he does so well but one thing i wanted to revisit this week is what his recruiting profile was coming out of high school and where that profile is now so coming out of high school this was someone who had offers from michigan alabama georgia miami notre dame ohio state penn state stanford tennessee everyone basically and i almost juxtapose it as he was kind of a more high-profile version of Venrick Mark coming out of high school. If you go back and look at Venrick Mark's offer list, it is a very long offer list as well. And the reason for that is, regardless of the level of team, it's really easy to define a role. Everyone wants a crazy fast burner who can return punts and kickoffs. Every team wants that. The difference is, if you end up at a team like Michigan, who is for our money, maybe the best team in the country heading into this coming season, you may end up being pigeonholed as a punt return and kick return guy because the team is absolutely stacked. And it very likely could have been that way at Georgia. It very likely could have been that way at Ohio State, etc. And that is to say, it doesn't take anything away from A.J. Henning. There is nothing to demonstrate or indicate that he is not the guy who had that crazy high profile coming out of high school. The use is just different when you're talking about a top three program in the country. Northwestern's going to try to get the ball in his hands in as many ways as possible all the time. And that's the difference. And it's need. But it's like, this is a guy who was a massive recruit out of high school, went to a big-time program, and did nothing to make you believe he's not that guy, and now he's a Wildcat. 
Yeah, I've seen the Venerick Mark comp a couple times too, and I think you know we know we know wide receiver has been a huge challenge for Northwestern. Um, we know that there's. I'm not going to say like a quite like. I don't think we question some of the talent in the room, but we've 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 not seen Northwestern receive receivers, whether that is scheme or coaching or player talent, um, be able to really exert their will in the field and 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 get open with regularity. Like like this has been. It's funny because like it, like everyone has their own flavor on what's wrong with the Northwestern offense, right? And so you've got a lot of people shouting about. Uh, the the quarterback play and the blocking and then other people are shouting about like oh the receivers are never open and I, I go back to the old CJ uh, and TJ podcast when CJ Bechet and um, TJ Jones were, were podcasting together and uh, as as a QB um, pass catching uh, duo uh, they they obviously had very different perspectives on who was at fault when when that was a problem but um, <laughs> always is, the other guy always yeah, the well, other guy well I like. You could put Henning in just about any scheme, and the dude is going to be able to get open because he is that fast and he's that quick. And um, it's just it's a it's a massive upgrade athletically for Northwestern in the wide receiver room. And in addition to the to the impact on punt returns, you know, I like. Do Do you think we're actually going to return a punt this year? We returned punts last year. Let's come on <laughs> now. Um, Did we? Like, like, it, they will get the ball into his hands. I think, like. What's more exciting to me is what this tells me in addition to the Ben Bryant news we talked a couple weeks ago about the coaches that we're pulling in. And you look at Armand Bins, a young uh, wide receivers coach who has been in a bunch of different places, not particularly tied to Northwestern's program, comes to Northwestern, and then guess what? The quarterback of the school that he directly came from in the University of Cincinnati – and then a wide receiver that he directly recruited previously and now again um, to come join his wide receiver room are coming to Northwestern. And I'm not going to suggest that he is the straw that broke the back in either case. You've got to think that there's some sort of like connection there, however. And it just it speaks to the impact of bringing in young assistant coaches with a diverse set of connections that go beyond and more broad than the Northwestern bubble. And I just, it's, it's, it's awesome to see. I want to reiterate too, because I mean, I know a lot of people are going to have questions about transfers and things like that. And there are various kind of stories and it's not to throw cast aspersions at any particular players or anything like that, but there are guys who are big time recruits. And then let's say they get hurt, right? They get an injury and then they're never necessarily the guy they were after that injury or something like that. And then the recruiting ranking goes down. And when their eligibility runs out at a certain school, they transfer. AJ Henning took a punt back for a touchdown a couple months ago. Okay. Like this guy is that dude right now. Um, he's it's, he's ready. And like, like Scuzz said, right. Like there's the, they're going to they're going to use him and they're going to try to play. and and you know I think you can look and you can look at a Stefan Robinson you can look at a Malik you can look at a Miles Schuler you can look at a Venrick and you can say like Northwestern's had guys like this before and found ways to get them the ball and maximize their effectiveness and this just it's it's not a need thing this is one of those transfers that works out well for everybody and you know it's like we're we all would have liked to see AJ a couple of years earlier, but we've got him now. And honestly, that's the other piece of this. We've got him for as long as he wants to be here, effectively. He's got three years on his clock. 
if he wants to cut that short or he plays so well that the pros become an option for him right away, then great. We all won. But A.J. Henning has up to three years of football to play with Northwestern. And I think that's plenty of time for both he and for us to get everything we're looking for. Yes, uh, super exciting. It's, it's really, really cool. And, you know, for everyone who's bemoaned the fact that, you know, oh, we're, we're losing so many transfers, we've brought in five guys now. Yes, it's not like, I mean, it's not Colorado who's brought in like 80 guys. But, you know, we have brought in, you know, we're, we're bringing people in. We're probably not done bringing people in. I mean, there's still a lot of names in the portal. Um, you know, there's still opportunities, uh, you know, until summer rolls around and summer camps start, you, you could see maybe a couple more guys coming and in. I, I just, I just want to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get on a soapbox here. I'm going to bitch and moan for do. a minute. Please do. Um, people are real salty about football. Yeah. Um, and I, and honestly, Sam, you just made the comment about the punt returns. What like folks were salty about football too. Uh, just, just eight. Punt returns all last season. Grand I know. total, 19 yards. I Well, and and you know how many attempted returns A.J. Henning had? 28. Right. 28 returns last year. 30 the year before. Um, some of that is because the dude is lightning fast, and when there's a guy like two yards from him, he can make that dude miss and, and start to get upfield. Um, but I just, like, I want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. We're all effing salty about football. I get it. And please do not take our excitement right. as Northwestern is going to contend for the Big Ten. We're talking about wins, right. folks. We're talking about getting back to normal, getting back to some sort of fun on Saturdays in the fall. We're not talking about a Big Ten championship. We're not there yet. There's plenty of problems and holes still on the defensive side, but if you're not excited about goddamn Ben Bryant and AJ Henning coming to right. this team, I don't know why you call yourself a Northwestern right. fan. Right, and it's like, I we hope that you all pay us the respect, right, of knowing that we know exactly where the leaks are in the Northwestern boat and how many leaks there are. We're well aware. We know exactly where they are. But every time a leak gets plugged, that's not the time to be like, well, look at all these leaks. It's like, it's the time to be like, sweet. It's one less leak. It's like we're think steps are being taken in the right direction. And these are, you know, again, a guy like AJ Henning in a lot of ways can deal with a lot of problems. And they're right. There's no quick fix, but these are all things that help. We know exactly the problems. There are still issues. It's not a perfect thing. Like we're not like it's not all kumbaya now, but these are big steps in the right direction. And this is a player we're all going to be super excited to watch on the football field next year. So, right. Like Scuzz said, right. It's it's moments like this to take the wins and be positive and get stoked about something you can look forward to. Anything else to uh, mention before we get out of here tonight, guys? Massive weekend. Get out there if you can. And I and and I don't mean to know stage either. Let me just let me just throw that on there. I mean the Martin <laughs> Stadium, and I mean the J. 
let's rock and roll and and help this team uh these these two magical teams uh get what they deserve uh, so with that we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight to head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on facebook twitter and instagram at Pirates, and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scalzboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.